are continuing with our series, Names of God, and I got to tell you, it's been cool to me to see what these names mean to us. And so today the name we're going to look at is in Genesis 16. If you would take your Bibles and just turn to Genesis 16. And did you know that there's like 85 names of God in the Old Testament? That's amazing, isn't it? Don't worry, we're not covering them all. <laughs> we're, we're in week five this week, but uh, we, don't, we aren't going to go for that long. Uh, why I say that is some pastors really like to get into a series and really stick with it, you know. A pastor friend of ours uh, told us he had spent three years in the book of Exodus. So that was like being on the trip yourself, right? <laughs> that was a long time. Uh, you can learn more, though. Uh, since we aren't covering all 85, I encourage you, as you read through the Bible, as you're doing that read through the Bible with us this year, you will come across names and just spend time thinking about what that name means to you as you read through the word. But today, as I said, we're in Genesis 16. We're going to look at the name of God, El Roi is how it's pronounced in Hebrew. Names like this reveal God's nature and his character to us. They show us that he's not far away, and his names actually show us that he is a God of relationship. In Genesis 12, God told Abram to follow him to a new place and that he would show him where to go. He told him he was going to bless him, he was going to make his name great, and that he would have a lot of descendants, more numerous than the sand or the or the stars, and so for 10 years he's been trying to have that child and to start the thing off, right? And for 10 years they haven't had any success. So that's where we pick up in Genesis 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now she knows she is pregnant. She despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from, and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Bir Lahe Royi. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So 
So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. So, 10 years later, 10 years of trying to have children, uh, Abram's wife Sarai is still barren. And from what we read here, she kind of blamed God, didn't she? Sarai was doing something in offering up her slave to Abram, her husband. That was fairly common at that time to carry on the family name. It was okay to take um, a servant in the house and have that a servant become like a wife, a, another wife to the husband to carry on that family line. But when you think about that, what problems could happen with a servant then becoming a wife? What do you think? Commands. Right. It would really mess up the the union of the husband and wife. What other problems could you get? Jealousy. The children could be seen as second to the children of the first wife, right? Yeah. Okay. Anything else? Yeah, a lot of problems. Would you agree with me that you'd probably get a fairly toxic situation in some cases? Oh, yeah. And we know from what we just read, that's what happened with Sarai and Hagar. Uh, she started despising her servant because the servant was, Hagar was now acting like she was one of the wives. And she didn't, she didn't want to act like a servant anymore. And so Sarai gets jealous and she's, feeling put down she's feeling like she's become less than she was and she's blaming abram for the problem even though it was her idea and she's saying the lord judged between you and me but she's the one who said let's do this and so hagar didn't want to be treated like a servant anymore because she's carrying a child of abram's in some ways in that culture she's thinking she's better than sarai because sarai is seen as somewhat less because she hasn't had a child so she's thinking, at least I should have a similar status to Sarai. What am I doing here being mistreated? And she went from being this favored and trusted servant to suddenly being despised and unwanted. And Abram, he's kind of indifferent to the whole idea. When Sarai came and complained, he says, well, just do whatever you want. He offers no solution, no leadership with the problem, He's probably thinking, Sarai, just blame me for the problem. I'm staying as far from this as I can. I don't want to get blamed again. So he says, you deal with it. And the next thing you know, it's not a good day for Hagar. Oh, let me tell you. Here's this difficult, challenging situation, and it continued probably to get worse after Sarai heard, go ahead and do whatever you want. And so it got to the point it was so bad Hagar said, I can't stand this anymore, and she runs away. She fled from the problem and ran into the desert. And I got to tell you, there's a verse in Proverbs that kind of talks a little bit about this in a way. Proverbs 21:19 says, better to live in the desert than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. Better to live in the desert than with a quarrelsome and nagging other wife right <laughs> she said no i'm not the desert's got to be better than this so she left so when we look at this we think well now how did this problem begin for abram and her 
and his family. Well, the first thing was that Sarai blamed God for her barrenness. That is not a good place to start when you have a problem to blame God because you are starting off in the complete wrong way. God has kept me from having children. God had promised a child and many descendants, but they weren't seeing the answer. So here's a question for all of us. What happens when we don't see God answer our prayers for the things that we need or for the things we're trusting him for? What happens when we don't see that prayer answered? Try to control it. Try to get the answer ourselves. Yeah, thinking that maybe we're not good enough. That's why God's not answering it. Do you start to doubt? Like, did I hear right? What's going on here? So we get, we start questioning whether we're going to receive that promise from God. We start to view God as maybe too small to handle our issues or our problems. And we begin to think that we have to help God out to do those things he promised. Things that we should actually be trusting him alone for. So why is that harmful for us? Well, when we step out of God's plan, out of his timing, we can actually kind of mess up what he's trying to do. If we try to help him out here when he's saying that's not the fullness of time yet, you know, and then we're trying to work it out, then we get everything out of sequence, out of sync. I have a really practical example right now of, of kind of a thing like that. We, right now, are in the middle of a remodeling project at our house. And I was thinking it would go a whole lot faster than it's going. You know what I'm talking about? Um, I've heard rule number one with remodeling is it always takes like probably three times as long as you think and probably costs three times as much as you figured it would cost. I don't know that it's going to cost three times as much. Don't have the final bill yet. But I got to tell you what, it takes longer. Uh, three weeks seems to be the standard. How long will this take? Three weeks. Yeah, okay, we passed three weeks. So, you know, <laughs> it's probably not going to take three weeks. But what if I started pushing on that timing and tried to get other stuff to happen? What if I had the tile guy come with all the plumbing and the wall prep and the painting wasn't yet done? And what if I tried to have him do tiling while the painter was there? I mean, things would get all out of sequence. He'd get in the way. I mean, it would just not work well. It would be a total mess. And certain things need to happen first when you're doing a project like that before that tile can be installed. That's actually one of the last things you do is the floor. Uh, and in our lives, we need to allow God to do the work in us that needs to happen first before the time of that answer of the problem or the answer of the promise happens. Or else if we get it all out of sequence, we can push forward into something that God hasn't prepared us for yet or maybe hasn't prepared the other people for yet. And so we get it all out of God's plan, all out of God's time. When we step into an area we're not called to yet to go, when we move beyond where God wants us to be, we actually open ourselves up to sin in our lives. And we can end up getting wounded or we can end up hurting somebody else. And so we need to be careful. And what happened here is Sarai mistreated Hagar because she went into an area God had not told him to go. And the word for mistreated there means afflicted. And what that means is Sarai was causing pain. She was causing pain. And part of it was she was experiencing pain. 
She was feeling hurt, so she wanted to hurt Hagar. And what happened was when she had this idea in her mind of how great this solution was, she didn't think it would turn out like this. And so what is happening is unmet expectations. And the things that are happening are way beyond what she thought would happen. And so she's feeling like she's getting pushed aside. And she doesn't deserve to be treated like that. She gets offended at what happened when her wonderful servant becomes this other wife. And then she strikes back. And that's sometimes what we do too when we feel like we get offended, when we feel put down. We can get angry. We feel like we want to strike back. You know, we want to do something about it. We don't, we, we don't want to be treated like that. And maybe we don't do something overt. Maybe it's just a little dig here and there. Or maybe it's like, you know, you're talking to somebody else about that person that's, you know, and you say, you know, some things about them that aren't very nice. Or you question their character. So, see, things like this are not good. We don't, we don't want to to be acting out of the offense, to be acting out of being hurt or wounded. But we put ourselves in those positions when we try to do stuff that God hasn't called us to do. We don't have God's equipping, and we don't have God's power to handle that issue. So Hagar did something to take care of the situation. Like I said, sometimes we fight back. Sometimes we'll just run away. Like Hagar, she said, I'm not, I'm not taking, I'm not doing this. She left and she's in despair. She doesn't know how to handle it except to leave. And when things aren't going the way we should, when we're mistreated or disrespected, our natural response is to, to either fight back or to run away. And whatever you don't deal with, if you just push it away, push it down the road, you end up with where God is going to bring that back because anytime we don't deal with stuff, anytime we think I'm just going to push that aside or push that away, God has a way of bringing it back in a slightly different form for us to learn from that again, right? And I don't know about you, but if you keep like saying no, no, and you have to keep dealing with it, there's a lot of stuff that keeps coming back at you that you don't need to, to let it keep coming back if you just will deal with it the first time. And take that problem to God and say, God, I don't know. I messed up. Please forgive me. But, and I don't know how to handle this. Lord God, help me to get through this time. Give me your wisdom and guidance on how to handle this. And sometimes we're in those situations through no fault of our own. And Hagar was kind of in that spot, wouldn't you say? It wasn't her fault that this problem came. But she still had to deal with it. And she was in this time of adversity, and you could also sometimes think of it as the fire of adversity. Would you think that's probably a good definition? When you are right in the middle of it, it seems like you're in the middle of a fire of adversity. And there are things that God can help us learn and things that God can do to help mold our character. It's almost like you've maybe heard the term the velvet hammer. It's like he has this way of just kind of chinking off the little bits on us that are rough and need to be removed. But he does it very gently if we will let him do his work. And so when you're in those times of adversity, no matter how they've happened, no matter how they've come about, just allow God to do his work on you. Take it to him and ask him 
to get you through it and give you the guidance and give them permission to mold you into the image of Jesus Christ. Show you your part in the deal if you have any. See, sometimes it's not just the other person's fault, right? But generally, that's how we like to see it. We think it's all them causing the problem. It's all that other person's fault. Or it's the problem with the job that I have. Or it's the problem with the resources that I have. Or it's some other problem other than me. And we won't even look at what is there about me that maybe could change. That maybe God wants to mold into who he is. Into his character. So what would be so wrong with that? You know, I'm telling you, I think we all ought to be open and see what part we play in the problem. Uh, What would be wrong with that? What's wrong with just not looking at our faults ever? Would you agree? Yeah. Yes. Yes. If there's always an awareness to say, okay, you might not know this one, but I can see you on your own growing you and your relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I think in every problem, there's at least two people in a problem. There's at least two people who need to look at themselves and say, what could I have done better? You know. Um, we, if we don't look at a problem, at our faults, we miss the opportunity to learn from what we're going through, to learn from the problems. And God will use that to build up our faith. And I got to tell you, if we listen to what he's saying, it's not hard the first time. If we keep pushing it away, pushing it away, pushing it away, believe me, it might get more and more intense. But if we listen to what God's telling us in the middle of problems, and learn from them and allow him to change us, to strengthen us if only we seek him. So Hagar comes, runs away, comes to this road to shore and finds the spring. And there she stops. And she's been running for a while. And it says the angel of the Lord came. But we learn from further down that she calls him the Lord. And so it's probably like a pre-incarnate Jesus coming and speaking to her. Where have you come from? And where are you going, Hagar? Where have you come from? And where are you going? She says, I'm running away from my mistress. And this is an important question that God is asking her because uh, where have you come from implies that she's come from a difficult situation. And in the original Hebrew of that word, of that phrase, where have you come from? It's like, where, what have you come out of? What have you come out of? It's like the language that's used to describe the Israelites leaving Egypt during the time of the Exodus. It's a time of uh, deliverance. And what God is really asking Hagar is not where you've come from, but what have you been brought out of? What has God delivered you from? What is your story? And today I'd ask you the same thing. What is it that God has brought you out of? What is it that God has delivered you from? What is the testimony of his deliverance in your life? And if we run away from anything difficult, we might miss that deliverance. Paul in the New Testament had an encounter with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. 
and it changed his life forever. And each one of us probably has something like that in our life where we had an encounter with God and there's something that God has delivered us from, has brought us out of. And there's a transformation that God is doing in each of our lives as he's brought us out of that. What has God brought you out of? What's the testimony of your life? Because as we think about that and as we keep that as something we meditate on from time to time, what God has brought us out of, is that it's an anchor for our faith, an anchor of hope. That way in the times of trouble, in in times in the fire of adversity, we have this hope because we know God has delivered us before and God is going to deliver us again. We know the hope of where he can bring us. In Proverbs 29, 18, it says that if you have no vision, no revelation, you perish. Without a vision, there's no hope, there's no purpose. In fact, the Message Bible says if people can't see what God's doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they're most blessed. And we're most blessed when we have that hope because and that vision and see what God's doing in our lives because we each have a destiny. We each have a unique purpose to fulfill like we've been talking about. And we can't receive that unless we're in the place where we recognize what God is doing in our life and we're in the place where God wants us to be. And we don't push our way to it, but we're right in the spot where he has us. We need to press in and hear from God about what he wants us to do. For, for his timing, for several years, God spoke to Pastor Steve and me about how he would like us to plant a church. But we knew we were to wait. And so it seemed like it got really long, that waiting, you know. And there were sometimes we were like, really, God, can it be now, please? And as we waited, God continued to do things in our life to prepare us for it. And finally, after several years, God said, now is the time, go. And during the waiting, even though it seemed long, we didn't want to start until God said go. Philippians 3.12 talks about pressing on and taking hold of that of which Jesus took hold of me. Paul says this. He realized he hadn't arrived at the goal, but he's not hanging on to trying to accomplish the goal. He's hanging on to Jesus Christ. And that's what you and I need to do. When God in this passage spoke to Hagar, he said, to go back to your mistress after he heard that. And the actual Hebrew here means to turn back. See, Hagar is going the wrong way, and God says, no, turn around and go back. Turn around and go back. And many times when we're going the wrong way, when we're praying, we we just feel this nudge of God on our hearts saying, no, you need to go do this. Turn around and go the right way. You know, turn back. If you've gone out too far beyond what God has called you, if you're in a spot that isn't his will, be willing to to change your attitude. Be willing to ask God to bring you to the place that you're supposed to be. And then the angel gives her a promise. You'll have descendants, too many to count, and a son, Ishmael, that means the Lord hears. And part of this promise sounds a little bit like the promise that God gave to Abram. God had told him in Genesis 12, I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. You'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And he's going to make him great over all the earth, right? But And the promise to Hagar here sounds a little bit like that for her son Ishmael. But like the curse on all who cursed Abram, 
he's going to live in hostility with people. He's going to be, it says, a wild donkey of a man. Now, I started thinking about why, why would that be a good thing to tell someone? Oh, your son's going to be a wild donkey of a man. Well, what that meant is that he was going to be bold. He's going to be free. He's going to be untamable. He's going to be living in the desert. He's going to need to have strength. So that's his character. And the blessing that God gave Abram wasn't for Ishmael. He's receiving something different here by what God is saying. And as God spoke to Hagar, this must have really encouraged her. You know, in spite of how you and I might look at it, she felt encouraged. So encouraged that she felt like she wanted to go back and and stay in that situation. Um, It says that she came back and gave birth to Ishmael. And then before she goes back, she says, you know what? I've seen the Lord, and he has seen me. And she gives him the name in the original Hebrew of that passage, El Roi, the God who sees me, the God who sees me. And the root of the name Roi is the same root word as is used for shepherd. There's one letter difference between the word for the God who sees me and the Lord my shepherd. And so... What it's telling us is that there's this attitude of shepherding almost. You know, a shepherd doesn't just look at the sheep, right? He takes care of the sheep. And so if El Roi, God sees me, it doesn't mean he's just observing me. Have you seen that commercial where, like, there's the security guard at the bank and he's a security guard, you think, and the bank robbers come in and they go, why didn't you do something? He goes, I'm not a security guard. I'm a security monitor. Right? You know that. Okay. So what if God was just a monitor of us? What would that mean if he just watched us and observed us? What do you think? We'd be in trouble. Yeah. It means that God sees us, El Roi. He doesn't just monitor us and watch us and look at us. It means he sees who we are, who we were meant to be, who he created us to be. And he sees deep into the core of who we are. He knows us totally and fully. But he also leads us and guides us and helps us and strengthens us if we'll just let him. But each of us have a free will. We can each decide if we're going to allow that or not. God doesn't want a bunch of robots. He wants people who want to follow him, who commit to what he's calling us to do. He doesn't force us. And here in this passage... God calls Hagar to follow him to return to the family of Abram. And she does that and gives birth to Ishmael. So I just say, as we've looked at this, what, do you, what can we pull out of this today about the fire of adversity in our lives? How do we deal with adversity? The first thing is we need to commit to trust God. There's situations in our life that are really difficult, but we need to trust God for the guidance on how to handle it and the wisdom to get through it. Um, we also need to understand that adversity isn't always the devil, right? Sometimes things God allows them, and sometimes it's from our own mistakes. But running from something that God is allowing in our life will only delay what he has for us. James 1, verses 2 and 3, and then at verse 12 say, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So the things we 
going through, God, God wants to use them to build up our faith and build us up. And then it says in verse 12, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because of having stood the test. That person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So our faith, our trials, and our perseverance um, are part of what God has for us. And even there's promise to reward for us for standing strong, for persevering in the middle of all of that stuff you're going through, all of the trials. There's a reward from Jesus Christ someday when we face him in eternity. Revelation says that when we're before that throne of God, that Jesus is going to say to to those of us who have persevered, we've hung in there, we've gone through those trials, we've we've done what he's called us to do. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. So all those problems, all of that disrespect, all of the mistreatment you've received, and yet you've persevered. You've continued to follow Jesus. You've continued to be faithful to him. And you've not run away from those difficult times. Not run away from him. That's being the good and faithful servant. You've trusted him. You've allowed him to mold you and shape you into the image of who he created you to be, the image of Jesus Christ. So we must trust God in the fire of adversity. And second, don't blame others for your mistakes. I mean, we're all human. We're all going to make them, right? Uh, But we don't want to just look at others, like we said, and, and just see what's wrong with them, because then we don't grow. We've all known people who are like that, who blame everybody else for stuff and never look at themselves. And they're full of pride and anger, usually, those kind of people. We want to be people who learn from our mistakes and take responsibility for them and repent of the errors of our ways and get right with God when we need to. Sometimes it's just foolish mistakes. And just ask God, Lord, we don't want to do that. I don't want to be that person. Lord, just I just ask you, help me to break any agreement with that kind of behavior, that kind of attitude, those kind of words, Lord. Just wash that off of me by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And fill me up with your Holy Spirit. Help me to be the person you created me to be. Sarai, in this thing that we just, a passage we read today, blamed Abram for her anger and her resentment, didn't she? And then Hagar must have blamed Sarai, and she ran away. And the blame just kept getting kicked down the road. Well, at the well, Hagar realized she had had a problem and had that encounter with God, that life-changing encounter, and she realized that all of those problems, all the mistreatment she went through was actually seen by God. And her life was in God's hands. She knew that this encounter with God, this revelation of who he was to her, was giving her the strength she needed to return to the place she had left and to do what she had been called to do. So trust God. Don't blame others for your mistakes. And then sow good seed. Just like there's natural laws, there are spiritual laws. The natural laws would be things like the law of gravity. If I drop something here, it's going to fall to the ground. But there are also spiritual laws, things that God says are true, that those spiritual laws operate in our life, whether we want to believe it or not, they're going to happen. If I don't want to believe if I drop a book, it's going to fall to the floor, that doesn't change it. It still happens. 
the law of sowing and reaping is a net, is a spiritual law that will happen in our lives. What we sow, we will reap. If we sow good seed, we reap good fruit. If we sow bad seed, we reap bad fruit. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says, Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So the good news about all of this is that when we repent of that bad seed we've sown, there's hope. God can redeem us. God can, when we ask him to forgive the bad choices and the bad attitudes and the bad fruit in our life, he forgives us. He can stop the progress of that bad fruit. He can cut that off when we surrender it to the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ. And he can even redeem that. God can turn those things around and use them for his glory. But from then on, we want to be used by God. We want to be used by him to sow to the spirit, as that verse in Galatians says, to, to follow our father God, El Roi, the God who sees us and sees our hearts, who knows us completely and yet loves us fully. We want to please him and honor him and sow to the things of the spirit, not to the things of the flesh. We want to do what he's leading and guiding us to do. That way, when the fire of adversity comes, when we feel things aren't going right, we can just turn to that good, good father and say, Dear Lord, you see what I'm going through. Help me, Lord. Strengthen me. Equip me to do your will in the middle of all of this. Help me to sow good seed. In Psalm 23, David is saying something kind of like all of this. He's in the fire of adversity, and he sees that Jesus Christ, that God, is the answer. The Lord is my shepherd, so I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pasture. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Let that kind of sink in to your soul today. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Anointing with oil was like a balm, like a salve. That's healing. And then he says, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So in the fire of adversity, turn to God. Trust God fully. Don't blame others, and sow good seed. Let's stand as we close. Just ask you to just bow your heads and just think about what we've been talking about today to in God's word. And in the middle of adversity, we need to trust God to not blame others and to sow good seeds. So just take a moment and think about that. What what of those three is the most difficult for you? Just allow God to speak to you right now. What are those three? Commit to trust God, not blame others sow good seed. 
you sense that God is calling you to trust him in the middle of adversity, or maybe you're in a tough situation right now, and he's calling you to look to him to guide you, to not lean on your own understanding. If you feel like God is calling you to just trust him with that situation, just raise your hand. Thank you. Or maybe you've been pushing for stuff to happen in your life and, and, and you've been looking at what your way is, not necessarily what God's way is or his timing. But you want to sow good seed. You want to do the things as he leads. And God's just saying today to just lay all the struggle down. Lay all of the trying and striving that's not what he's calling you to do. And to just sow to the Spirit, to just sow to God's timing. If you feel like that's the commitment God would have you make today, just raise your hand. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Lord God, we thank you for this example of Hagar, who said, God, you see me. And she didn't just mean that he recognized who she was on the outside but that he knew her all the way through. And God, when you see us, you see all of us, our hearts, our desires, the core of who we are, everything about us. You know us totally, fully, completely. And yet, yet you love us so much. You desire that relationship with us. You desire to use us in a powerful way. And so, Father, I pray today, that as we've committed to, to follow you, to trust you, and to sow good seed, and Father, to be committing everything to you for your will and your timing. We just thank you, Father, that your word is powerful, and that as we trust you and listen to your word in our lives, you're going to lead us along and bring us to the thing that David wrote about. You're just going to pour that oil on our heads, Lord, and heal us of all of the stuff, all of the junk. You're going to put us before you at the table. Lord, I just pray that you'd strengthen and encourage everyone who's going through tough times today. Lord, I pray that things that have been taking a long time and we can't see the answer yet, Lord, that we'd continue to trust you. We'd continue to hang on to you, Father, that we wouldn't try and fix it for you, that we would just listen to you and follow you. Lord God, we pray, though, for healing. We pray for answers to prayer. We pray for restoration in families. Lord, we pray for uh, you to do amazing, exceedingly abundantly above anything we ask or think type of things in our lives. And Father, I just pray that you just use us this week and show us, Father, what happens when we just follow you and listen to you. In Jesus' name, amen.